I was actually sat down in front of an electronics bench with a product that wouldn't work. And I was told, make it work. In, in your answer, you just said that when you first came right out of college, you got a pro-level project to work on. That can be pretty intimidating for kids that come out of college, right? There's a, there's a famous phrase, fake it till you make it. How far can you extend the fake it till you make it sentence? So it was, uh, do it or get fired. So, you know, that's a real motivator. I had to have the confidence to tell myself that I'm, I'm going to make this work. What you said sometimes is understated a little bit, right? You're having the requirements and knowing what to do and where the project should be heading is something that's pretty important in my mind. They say, hey, requirements aren't well written, right? Uh, so I'm going to leave this company. I, I've had, I've worked on projects before where the the requirements were really unclear or missing. I was I was asked to work on developing a spray drying system that would spray dry human plasma. Working on new projects and working on new things to further develop your knowledge and your skill set sometimes requires you to put in time of your own. That's that's a question of responsibility yeah. uh, versus ambition. There's a lot of shift happening, resources being shuffled around between existing projects and upcoming new projects, right? Not invented here is one of those phrases that um, that's how some people operate. You know, that's, that's not really the best way to approach things. Understand what's needed. I have to get this done or they're gonna find somebody to replace me. Are you like gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna expand my horizons because it's an offshoot of what I already know and I'm not gonna say no, or am I just gonna be like, hey, this is my expertise and I'm just gonna play within this. I think people have choices in, in life to make and which way you wanna go with yourself is a big one. It recalls to mind something that, you know, one of your previous interviewees, Fanny, who used to be my boss a long time ago, we were talking about how our company had been acquired. Hello, hello. We are back with episode three of season two of the EITF project. We've had so many good conversations this season, and this one is definitely at the top of our list. In this interview, Karthik and I interview Mike O'Haley. Mike started out as an electrical engineer with a lot of experience at companies like Scope Communications, HP, Agilent Technologies, ZymeQuest, Cross Engineering, and Cooper Perkins. Whoa, this is a lot of experience spanning over 16 years. You will find in this interview that over the span of these 16 years, he was presented with challenges that are unheard of for an electrical engineer. But here's the interesting bit. After spending almost 16 years as an electrical engineer, Mike took up a role as a director of engineering for a medical device company. Velico Medical. He says in his interview that his job was most challenging because not only was the medical field completely new to him, this was also a management job, which comes with its own unique challenges. Mike eventually joined Octoscope as a principal design engineer. Mike and I have worked together for about seven years now. Mike works on embedded software for one of our most popular Wi-Fi partner devices. I can say with a hand on my heart that having worked in the QA department at Octoscope, it is extremely hard to find problems with Mike's code. Mike talks about this in his interview. Although he has faced many technical challenges, 
His approach to solving a problem has always remained the same. Find out what's needed and if there is no information, prototype something to get the conversation started. He also says that a lot of work decisions relating to advancing in your career are personal to each individual. He doesn't fail to give his point of view though and it's very unique. Mike's answers are worth thinking about and when you do you'll understand the genius behind the answers. A lot to learn and a lot of simple ways to solve huge problems. An interview that will make you think twice. Enjoy and as usual leave us your comments. Mike, I'm going to dive right into the first question. So what was the first ever accomplishment that you had in your career? And what was the first misstep that you had in your career? And what lessons did you learn from either one? My first engineering job, I was actually sat down in front of an electronics bench with a product that wouldn't work. And I was told, make it work. And so I did. Um, I had to learn everything about it from scratch. I was given some schematics. I didn't know what the components were. I had to really do a deep dive and learn what was there and what was wrong uh, and get it working. And so to do that, I had to do some hands-on prototyping, building things onto the circuit and making separate circuits, combining them, all that stuff. So after, after I kept at it for a while, we had something that we could turn into a new printed circuit board and make a new revision of the of the circuit so that we could start using it. So for me, being basically straight right out of college and being given pro-level job with a lot of responsibility, pull that off, I was impressed with myself, I guess. In terms of missteps, that's a little hard to think what that would, would be. Uh, I guess everybody makes mistakes eventually, but can I think of one that was really bad, we'll have to come back to that one. Pretty lucky in that the projects that I've been given, uh, I've been able to really just succeed. I've been lucky in that way. So you mentioned, Mike, that, you know, when you first, in, in your answer, you just said that when you first came right out of college, you got a pro level project to work on. That can be pretty intimidating for kids that come out of college, right, today. So what do you think is, is the best way to navigate a project like that with you know, working with the people around you. Take advantage of everything you possibly can. The people that you work with are gonna have more experience than you if you if you come right in out of college. So you need to try to foster a relationship with them and ask questions and try to convince them that if they would spend some time with you, it's worth their time. And, and obviously school prepares you for so much. So you have to have the initiative and the resourcefulness to, to learn. Uh, if that means going back to your textbooks, then you do that. If it means in the modern age, going to a website and pulling down specifications for new components and seeing what the competing components are, then then that's what you need to do. You just need to just keep trying and and moving forward. So it's interesting that you bring this up, right? A pro level 
project right out of school. I was having this conversation the other day with a friend of mine and we were talking about the role confidence plays and how how much of confidence you exhibit gives the other person confidence that a this person can do what I'm interesting him to do. And second thing is there's a there's a famous phrase fake it till you make it. How far can you extend the fake it till you make it sentence? in reality do you just exhibit saying okay i own this and you then go do the hard work and the hard yards outside going back to the basics but you are already setting up a baseline that's right up here when everyone's expecting you to set a baseline here i mean i guess what you just said there was a supposition what do you do as a general person me in those in those cases that we were talking about my first job it was up to me so it was uh do it or get fired so, you know, that's a real motivator. <laughs> and so I stuck with it. And luckily I had, I had um, everything I needed. The education was good. The kinds of projects I did in school prepared me for, for, this, for that kind of job. And um, I had to have the confidence to tell myself that I'm, I'm going to make this work. And so it's just persistence, sticking with it and, and wanting to make it work was was what was going on with me yeah you came out of college they gave you a new project to work on right um even today in organizations you usually there's a lot of shift happening resources being shuffled around between existing projects and upcoming new projects right so for you say when you're assigned a new project what is your process of making that new project your own and trying to understand everything about it before you start developing further. We see a lot of people who jump into new projects and try to bring a lot of their development from the old projects over, which sometimes work, works and sometimes doesn't. So what is your process and what is your advice to someone who's assigned to a new project to try and make it their own? Well, it's actually, you're right, a bad habit to try to bring too much, like uh, not invented here, one of those phrases that um, that's how some people operate. You know, that's that's not really the best way to approach things. Um, I've had a lot of continuity in my career, meaning that I haven't changed jobs all that many times. And then with within those jobs, um, there's a continuity of of product lines and projects, so that there's it's not really a big jump. I did actually go from doing electrical engineering and circuits at the beginning to I do software now, um, but that took a job change to um, to bring that uh, in, into into action. And actually, even there, there was a continuum where I was hired as an electrical engineer. I put together a circuit that had a microprocessor on it because I figured it would be really capable. But it wouldn't do anything on its own, so I had to learn how to program it, and um, then from there I started, you know, just enjoying the software so much. But to answer your your question of how would I go about handling a new project, I think the most important thing to do is to understand what you need to do, and it's saying the same thing: understand what's needed. So let's make it a little bit more concrete. Like let's say I was to uh, get a new job, and I was to go back into circuits, which I haven't done for years. What am I going to do in that case? Well, it'll be like that first day when I was at work where I have to get this done or they're going to find somebody to replace me. So I'm going to look at it and find out what I don't know and find out what I do know. And so 
if you're coming into a project that's already been in action for a while, then there's materials available already that you can learn from. So if it's a circuit, you'll have a schematic. If it's if it's software, you'll have the source code and the, and hopefully the requirements. So you'll find yourself having a gap to what's what's here, what's needed, and what do I know about how to do that? So you'll have to learn to make the gap close. I mean, it's hard to talk in generalities, but um, I think that's what, what I would do in that case. What you said sometimes is understated a little bit, right? Having the requirements and knowing what to do and where the project should be heading is something that's pretty important in my mind to understand the full picture of what you're working on at least. I, I've had, I've worked on projects before where the the requirements were really unclear or missing. And then you're like doing research, you're freewheeling and it's not certain what you're doing. And, and that's, I don't like working like that. <laughs> I think it's also time consuming, right? It's kind, it kind of becomes like trial and error. Now you work on this and then you send it over and then you get feedback. And I think it extends the project even further as well. I thought of an example where I was put into a project where I had zero experience with uh, what I needed to do. I was I was asked to work on developing a spray drying system that would spray dry human plasma. So with my circuits background and my software background, it's like, whoa, step one, hire somebody who knows what they're doing. So I ended up becoming a manager and hiring a team to, to help me out because I knew I could do whatever circuits work was needed to, to do that. But uh, so sometimes you just have to totally go left turn to do something. So that brings me to an interesting dimension, right? Like you often hear this as an individual contributor of being T-shaped versus I-shaped. And what are your thoughts on that? Like, are you like going to be like, okay, I'm going to expand my horizons because it's an offshoot of what I already know. And I'm not going to say no, or am I just going to be like, Hey, this is my expertise and I'm just going to play within this and I'm not going to start offshooting myself and become T-shaped overall. I think that's really a personal question. So I think that's going to depend on the individual. I think people have choices in, in life to make and which way you want to go with yourself is a big one. I think it's, I think it's important to know more breadth about what you're doing so that you're more capable within that domain. But um, stretching yourself to, to do new things, I think that's good too. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that most people eventually will do both uh, if they're lucky in their career. And so it depends on the opportunities that you're given. If you actually have the choice to um, do more of the same or do something different, it recalls to mind something that, you know, one of your previous interviewees, Fanny, who used to be my boss a long time ago, we were talking about how our company had been acquired and they were taking our engineering and our products and they were sending it overseas. So engineers were going to have to get new jobs either within the newer, bigger company or leave. I was asking her, pretty much the same question that you asked me, which is, you know, should I leave and get something new or should I try and, and work with one of these other groups here? And she's like, do you want to be the big fish in the little pond or the little fish in the big pond? And, you know, I, I think it's better to be the, the big fish in the little pond. <laughs> um, 
which is, you know, where you're doing more of what you are good at and you have a lot of experience with it and it's easier to flourish in that environment. But in that case, I actually chose to leave and just totally start over. <laughs> so, yeah, it depends. That, that's an interesting perspective, Mike. And I think, you know, one of, one of the <laughs> is like working on new projects and working on new things to further develop your knowledge and your skill set sometimes requires you to put in time of your own, even in a specific organization, right? You're working on something that you're assigned to, something that's important, and now it's based on your interest that you want to learn this other field as well, but you're not relieved from your existing work, right? So that brings me to my question about like, you know, one of our interviewees earlier said that prioritization is about deciding what not to work on during the day rather than deciding what to work on. So how do you like, especially when you have new projects that you want to spend your time on, how do you prioritize that when you have an assigned set of projects that are that are given to you. I think a little bit of that involves like, you know, communicating with your manager as well, but what is your process when you're in a situation like that? I mean, that's, that's a question of responsibility yeah. uh, versus ambition. <laughs> Hopefully there's room for both wherever you're working. Obviously the responsibility that you have to the project and the, the assignment that you've been given is, is probably pretty solid. I mean, you're expected to get something done. Turning it towards me, if I was on a project right now and I wanted to work on something else, then probably what I would do is try to, one thing you can do is be more efficient and try to basically get things done in less time and use the extra time to try to get ahead and work on this other idea that you have. Yeah. Or you can prioritize the new work and work on that and let the other one suffer and see how it works out. It's hard to say what's the right way. Nobody wants to get in jeopardy. I, it depends. Um, I think your I think your uh, statement that you should probably be in good contact with your manager is is important. Like for example, in in this company here, uh, where I've been working for the last going on ten years, I have a really good relationship with my manager, and it has come up in the past where we're basically getting to the end of this project, and what do you want to do next? I've been lucky enough to have been asked that question before, and then it goes to what you were saying, uh, Karthik, where you know, do I want to do more of the same or try something different? If you want to try to change things on your own initiative, it's going to be hard because you're constrained and you're being paid to do a job. And that's a big responsibility. So, yeah, you have to try to find a way to make it work. I can give an example where in the past I had an intellectual curiosity about a limitation in the software that I had been working on. Um, it was basically for a, a little 16-bit processor with hardly any memory, and basically the whole program was just one loop, a main loop. Um, and I was like, man, wouldn't it be great to have threads? And um, so I just like, after work on weekends, I spent all these hours just trying to get a simple threading system working on this little dinky processor. And I got it working and it's actually the heart of our quad attends and stuff here at work. So sometimes you have to invest your own time. So it all depends on what you want to do. I mean, that was making me miss out on things when I wasn't, that I could have been doing if I wasn't doing things after work on weekends, but it, at the time it felt worth it. You read my mind because that was going to be my next question, right? 
is I see a lot of people in the industry now where they say, hey, requirements aren't well written, right? Uh, so I'm going to leave this company. This company doesn't tell me what needs to be done versus I see people, individual contributors, smart people, they tell me, I see a problem right in front of my eyes. My company is taking time for it to tell me that that's a problem, but no one's stopping me from going and attempting that problem and solving it, which is going to make money or make lives easy, right? So that's, that's a unique situation that I see current industry being at where there's one school of thought where people tell you that, hey, my manager doesn't tell me anything so i don't know what to work on next versus in your case that you're telling me that hey i saw this loop it wasn't threaded so it was taking its own sweet time for it to execute and now i'm just investing because that's a problem that i want to solve and the company's paying me money to do problem solving at the end of the day uh actually part of the motivation for that little project that i mentioned was feathering right into what you're saying which is as a technology as an engineer you basically sign away all your rights to the intellectual property that you're working on when you join a company. So you have to be very careful about uh, trying to take anything with you when you go to your next job. And and you're basically not supposed to. Um, so you're, you're not walking away with any source code. You're not walking away way with any circuits or schematics and um, all those great ideas that you had for, you know, paid for your last uh, employer, how do you use that moving forward? In my case, I was like, well, I want to develop something that was clearly made on my own time, which I can prove that is mine. And then when I go anywhere, I can basically say, here, we can use this. It works great. It'll do what you want, but you have to sign my licensing agreement. I think it makes your life easier too when you're starting out in a new company, when you have something that you can start your base off of. Yeah. You know, one of the other things is the more and more you work, the more and more experience you get, you sort of end up doing the same thing over and over. Every program has a beginning and end. You use a lot of the same structures and loops and ideas. Um, After a while, it just becomes the language. So, you know, do I still need that thing that I made for the little small processor anymore? Maybe not. Yeah. Because I I may have actually outgrown it. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that you've worked for Octus Group for 10 years, right? Um, you just mentioned that Octus Group is now aspiring. What have you learned from working for the same organization for a long time versus working for different organizations for a shorter duration of time? And an added question to that is, is it a boon or a bane when you work for a company for an extended period of time and is there room for bad habits to creep in that becomes hard for you to unlearn when you switch companies after a long period of time well that's that's several questions the the way i view the ideas that you're asking about is from my perspective it's it's about big companies versus small companies i mean i know you asked me about length of tenure at a given company. But if we take the example of this company, I started out with Octoscope, which was a uh, small startup. And so that had the benefits that I like about small companies where you, every individual has a lot of responsibility, a lot of freedom. You, if you're lucky and the company's structured that way, you'll get incentive stock options that can um, turn into money if there's ever a sale in the company. So, you know, I've I had all those benefits, I guess you could say, of the small company until the small company was finally sold. And then Spirant came in 
and made us who we are now. And so I'm seeing the other side, the hill now, where it's a big company and I'm a little guy and everything's totally different. I don't have the same freedoms that I had. My managers don't have the same freedoms that they had. Everything's different. How does tenure fit into that? I'm not sure. In this example, if, if I didn't like the big company that I'm getting from Spirant now, uh, and I wanted to go back to the good old days of the small company, then I would have to leave. And so that would be a choice I'd have to make. And, you know, I'm not doing that right now. The, the big company has advantages that the small company doesn't have of a better benefits package, more vacation. In terms of uh, bad habits and stuff, and, and how would you uh, try to prevent that from creeping in? Again, I think that's a bit of a, a personal issue where you want to probably try to not let that happen. You know, I'm, I'm always focused at work on trying to get things done. So I don't really have a lot of time for bad habits, I guess, unless I'm unaware that I have them. Actually, one of the things you said about like big companies versus small companies, right? Today, that's, that's a topic of discussion. Like everywhere you go, say on LinkedIn and things like that, people are always talking about how exciting it is to work for a startup versus working for a big company. And I think a lot of people have their preferences in working for either one. But I also feel like each one has, has its own advantages and disadvantages. For me, I feel like it's always going to be about the work that you're doing and whether you're interested in the work that you're doing, whether it's big or small companies. Uh, but your choice, like you said, should be based on the benefits and all the other things um, that come, as long as the work is fine. To add to that, uh, again, a personal question to you is, and having spoken to a lot of people, and this is a common theme, do you work to solve problems that you are deeply passionate about? Or do you focus on working for a brand because A, you think that that brand's going to give you a good exit on your resume should you want to flip companies, right? Because and I know one set of people that are deeply passionate about the problem they solve, uh, say, drug discovery or drug synthesis or whatever. And the other set want to work for a particular brand because they think that the perception overall is, okay, I work for a big company and it comes in with its own societal advantages. Well, again, that's, that's, you're right. That's a personal choice. My, my take on things is I want to be happy to go to work. I want to enjoy my work. I want work to be a good part of my life. I don't want to be dragging myself into work. So if I'm ever unhappy with the assignments that I'm having, the last job that I had before this one, I was not happy with the assignments that I was getting. And so I said, sorry, folks, I'm leaving. <laughs> From the perspective of what, what kind of company that would I want to pick when I was getting my next job? It's an interesting question the way you ask it of, you know, would you, would you pick a, a large company because it has cachet, like a reputation, and it makes you look like Big Shot or something, I guess you're getting at because your resume will be padded with these, oh, I work for Google and 3Com and I don't know what. I just don't operate that way. I gravitate towards the small company, which is really risky. I've worked for two companies where they're, they were operating on investor money and not making any attempt at a profit uh, and the money ran out. So I had no job. <laughs> You're not going to get that with a big company. With a big company, you're gonna, they're going to be happy to have you, and they're going to try not to let you go. You know, it, it all depends on 
what you want to do. When I was now, I'm, I'm getting towards the tail end of my career, actually, and I'm starting to think about retirement. When I was at the beginning of my career, I thought a lot about that next job and about what is this job doing for my resume for me to get that next job. And what I did instead of really focusing on the next thing is I would try to take what I was doing and do it really well so that by the time that I had to leave, I learned as much as I could. I got as much done as I could and had more experience because of it. And that really paid off because every time I had to make a move, I was capable. When I had the opportunity to go on a bunch of different job interviews, um, I would take big job, big company jobs and little company job interviews. And if I got offers between both, I'd probably pick the little one. It is again, personal. I don't have children, so I haven't had to worry about money from that perspective. I didn't have to worry about the kinds of responsibilities you have with a family. So I, I could handle the risk profile of a small company and potential failure. But I've been, I've been lucky from the get-go. Every, just about every, except for those two ones that um, I was forced to leave because there was no money, there's always something new or better out there. And um, Spiron acquiring Octoscope has been basically really good for me so far. I like what you said about paying attention. Like, I think big or small company, it's important to pay attention to how the company is doing as well. Because there's, I mean, big or small, I feel like there is risk involved in either one, uh, especially in today's climate where, you know, big companies are letting go of a lot of people in, in the light of recession. So, so I guess speaking about recession, right, I'm not... I'm, Right now, we're seeing a lot of layoffs happening in the industry. We have Googles, we have uh, Amazons, all of them went on a hiring spree right after COVID. And then now they're trying to lay off a lot of their employees. So what do you think an employee, so I'm shifting focus a little bit from an employee perspective. What do you think an employee, one of the most important skills an employee should have to survive, say, a climate like today's a recession? I've been, I've been through uh, at companies where there were layoffs. What happened to me is the advice I'd give to the next person, which is don't be that person. Don't be the person that gets laid off. Work hard. Make yourself valuable so that you're not the one that they want to let go. If it's, you know, if it's something like a company where the company's in, in bad trouble because the company's product or whatever, is really the problem, then anybody is at risk in that company of being let go. But if, it, if it's just kind of a budget tightening measure where we need to get rid of 25% of our people, then don't be that 25%. How do you avoid that? I mean, you try to work hard, um, make accomplishments noticeable, do things on time, all, all the stuff that makes sense anyway. And, and hopefully that's going to be enough. But maybe it's not. Like I said, I've been I've been lucky. I haven't really had to deal with layoffs, although I have avoided them by not being that person. Follow up to your answer, right? Like, how important is it to have a champion at work who can glorify the things that you end up doing on a day to day basis? Yes, completing something on time is great, but is it important to have a champion at work who can sing your praises or, 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 or glorify you so that 
there's a sense of perception that eventually builds up that, okay, this guy is valuable to the organization overall. I've never known that to be a thing. There is no champion. You are your champion. Maybe in a big company scenario where, you know, I haven't had much big company experience. I've only had a, a short tenure of about two years now with Spiral, which is what I would call a big company. I went through another acquisition that put me into Hewlett Packard, which was a big company. Where was the room in there for the champion? There was none. Uh, in the small company, there, there was none. The closest thing I can think to what I would think a champion is, is um, a mentor. Um, if you're if you're young enough an engineer and you work in a place where there are senior people and, and you can basically manage to get one of these mentor-mentee relationships, then, then you're lucky. You can probably use that to your advantage uh, by learning more and possibly through reflection of that mentor, uh, get recognition that way. But from my personal experience, I've just had to tough it out and be my own champion. I think that's a that's a good way to answer that question because it's not always that you're going to, like you said, find someone who's going to sing your praises, right? I feel like your work has to sing its own praises. A mentor needs to take interest in you to be willing to work with you and to be willing to further your career. And that interest also comes from from your work. I think they look at your work and they see promise and that's when they invest the time to spend in you. So um, I think it's I think it's definitely all related to the work that you're doing. So Mike, I wanna dial it back a little bit because career and everything else starts, the first point, first entry point for career is the interview, right? Uh, today there's a lot of uh, literature out there on how to nail interviews for this kind of job and that kind of job and all of that fun stuff. Um, you have been on the other side of the table uh, in terms of interviewing someone. So what do you look for in a candidate when you interview them? First, I'll, I'll say that interviews can be misleading. I've, I've had an experience before where more, I think a couple of times now where I thought that the candidate was really geared towards what we wanted, like a good candidate, and it turned out to be not true. And how did that happen? Um, in those cases, that person projected confidence and um, alleged knowledge of uh, ability to do the things that we wanted them to do. And in, in those couple cases, it turned out that it was uh, show, that it wasn't really there and that what we wanted them to do was far enough off from what they had done before that they just weren't quick enough or good enough that it was a regrettable decision to have let that person into the organization. On the other hand, bad experiences aside, when, when I have to interview someone, I'm paying attention to them. How do they think? You can tell, you can tell when you're looking at somebody how they're thinking. Do they really know what they're talking about? Are they easily coming up with the examples from their experience that are um, answering the question that you're asking of them? I tend to ask questions like, well, I see you on your resume here, you did this. Tell me a little bit about that and how did you get to that and, and why, why did you do this once they start telling me a little bit about it? You know, that's really just my personal way to do that, but 
And every every interviewer is going to be different. If I have to go into an interview and try to get a new job, it's very nerve wracking. There's a lot on the line. You could you could get a job or not get a job. So it tends to put you out of your element a little bit. It makes you act different, I think. And so you have to, I think it's hard. You have to try to not do that. Just be yourself, rely on what you've done before and it'll carry you through, hopefully. I think, you know, why, why, like you said, interviews are very intimidating. So it's very hard to project yourself for who you really are. I know I found them very intimidating. My interview with with uh, with Octoscope was, I feel like, was just a stroke of luck. Um, I said I didn't know anything, but Fanny chose to hire me anyway. So I, I feel like that she, was just lucky. I haven't. She um, probably saw through somehow. She was maybe just, you know, seeing like sort of that you are a good thinker and you are capable even though you don't have a lot of experience because you're brand new with an experienced person it's kind of the opposite people have a, a more limited knowledge set because they've been doing the same thing for a while in the previous interviews i had this thing of interviewing a candidate and the best candidate that that was my best interview ever was i asked him a question and he tells me dude i'll just go www.google.com put the question you asked me in that whatever stack overflow tells me i'll learn it and i'll implement it and he's honest enough to tell me that he doesn't know it but he's not shying away from learning it and doing it on the job yeah i i think it's important to try to go with someone who seems kind of at ease with their incapabilities you know you can't you can't really just boast your an interview saying, oh, sure, I can do that. Because if you can't, it's going to be exposed and you don't want to be that person. I have one more story I want to tell um, while asking my next question. And this is a story specific to you, Mike, is when I first joined the company, when I did my first demo, actually, I had no idea what an IP address was or the networking that went behind IPv4 addressing. So I I went and I really uh, messed up my first demo. And I came outside and I I think I went to uh, Ron and I said, uh, you know, this was all working outside of the conference room. I don't know why it's not working inside. There's something doing with uh, networking. Now that I think about it, it's, it's a really stupid question to ask because I just didn't know my networking. I'd used a duplicate IP. But then I, I went to you and I asked, and it, thinking back about it now, it was like a really, really stupid question to ask. But you were so generous and you said, if you can reproduce it, I'll fix it. I, I couldn't reproduce it because of what it was at the time. But that was just a really nice, I was really intimidated talking to anyone in Optoscope because we, we were all so experienced. Um, you, definitely all of you knew what you were doing. So um, that leads into my question, right? For a person like myself, a new employee working into uh, an organization with extremely experienced individuals, uh, what is the best way to put forward your ideas or what is the best way to start communicating um, with everyone around you so you can start learning? Well, I guess probably the best way is to try to find uh, something specific and tangible that you can relate to like, you know, you need to be able, in this case, you need to be able to explain the problem that you need help with well. 
and and be willing to take some advice of try this and then that can be the beginning of a back and forth relationship or conversation where it can it can take off in terms of trying to break through this being afraid to talk to somebody that has a lot more experience you just i think you you have to have some kind of confidence to just start somewhere walk in ask for a little bit of help you know if they're busy ask if i can come back later be persistent i mean in your case you had a job you needed to do and you couldn't do it on your own and so you had to get some help so i'm glad i was there to help now thinking about how scared i was when i um at, at the time before when i wanted to come talk to you guys like now we have such a like i'm not scared at all of like you know coming and asking you questions and getting advice from you yeah and and you might even it might not even work out you know you might say say the person first person you ask for help is a curmudgeon yeah and uh you know you get a gruff response and uh you don't come yeah. back well don't yeah somebody else <laughs> you just got to be persistent and keep trying i think within a good team everybody's going to want forward progress and so if there's somebody new i think anybody can appreciate the fact that they used to be like that if they are not the young person it shouldn't be that hard to find somebody that will work with you because i want to narrate the first incident of me posting a question on stack overflow and it 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 brings back what nandini is talking about can you give me a reproducible thing and i randomly go say hey i want to compute uh a a a a stats measure for this model that i'm trying to build but i'm just getting errors and i just ended there and there's one dude in the community who's upset with me he's like okay are you making me do your homework or have you done something and can you give me the code that you wrote to reproduce it so that i know that okay you did try something and you aren't making me do your homework and i was like oh wow and i was brand new in the industry back in 2014 and i'm like okay this guy is upset and and that happened for two times and the same dude came commented saying you still haven't learned from your lessons kid have you uh, i keep telling you to give me code snippets and you just don't give you just end up asking me paragraph questions it just feels like a manager told you something and you're just coming and putting it on stack overflow so that the community will help you out and i was like okay and that that's the lesson i've learned in my career that okay anywhere if i'm asking for help i need to show people code and tell them hey i tried this this is the reason this is the output that i'm getting and that output doesn't seem right yeah i mean that's two things one documentation is very important you know as engineers and scientists i think it's a very technical um job that you do but the uh whatever language it is english in this case your english skills are important being able to say what you mean and relate it into something that's not code if you have to um is helpful but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of i'd really like to know what you were doing then yeah you need to be able to show this this was what i did this is what i got this is what i expected why didn't it go that way i have a selfish question for you and this question i think a lot of people may have is you get into a project and and sometimes requirements are super ambiguous right 
so in that case and there's a threshold for everything and a trade off like okay how much deep am i going to go in figuring out requirements versus having to work with what i have because my customer may or may not know what he wants at the end of the day so in that case as an ic do you still go down the path of wanting more requirements or are you like okay let me start building something based on what i know because the more i start demoing and the more i start delivering my customer eventually knows oh, okay this is what i want and then he can start reinforcing feedback i think you just 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 describe the scrum process basically you don't always know up front and you can ask until you're blue in the face and if nobody knows the answer then you're not going to get one so um sometimes you just have to improvise and and make some of your own decisions you know i i've learned through experience that it's not always a good thing that engineering will make products because they can or make product features because they can that's not always useful for what people want but sometimes if it's a clean slate and you're being asked to sort of generally do this then just knocking out some kind of prototype and showing it to somebody and saying what do you think that's that's where i would go you know that would be the step because then now you have something that's either it's good or it's bad and if it's bad you know you don't do that anymore if it's good you're like okay well i'll i'll make it like that but more you don't always get requirements um you know when i worked in the, the medical device development field it was very structured and rigid of you your design process has to have requirements all of the decisions that you make about implementing the design have to relate back to the requirements and then the regular world of industry has you know we're just trying to make a buck and we want the customers to be happy you know sometimes you get requirements if there's a marketing department or something but maybe not you're just trying to make that sale i don't know it depends on the size of the company i think that's a generic question because i know a lot of times i've had interactions with ic's and engineers where they say oh i don't know where to start this is driving me nuts and bananas but and you see another set of engineers i'm that type where i'm like okay i'll just start creating something prototype and then eventually the customer wants to bash me is going to bash me but at least i know exactly what because sometimes customers aren't great enough in articulating what they want they just yeah. tell you that i want to build a system i'm like great fantastic uh where's the data where are your artifacts and then they start then telling you once you start building a prototype uh, oh it would be great if you can add this constraint it would be good if you can have this bound and then you know great okay i thought i'm dealing with infinite degrees of freedom no i still have some degrees of freedom to optimize and play around with yeah i i, I like your approach <laughs> <laughs> so mike we're at that point during the year when everybody is going to go through performance reviews right this is a topic that's being talked about a lot on linkedin especially in the november december phases so how do you think an employee should prepare for a performance review or if at all prepare uh and secondly how do you think a manager should prepare for a performance review there's probably as many different approaches to that as there are types of flowers so there's i guess no right answer as as an employee trying to uh prepare 
for your meeting with your manager or prepare your manager for that meeting. You want to boil down your accomplishments for the year into a list, for example, or some quick and easy talking points or a PowerPoint slide, depending on your style. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Have you met expectations? Did you exceed expectations by doing things better or doing things that were unexpected? That, that's, that's what I do. Uh, back in back in the day before like email was even really a thing, I had a little book that I would be writing down my daily accomplishments. And so I'd have a whole book of stuff that I could never show to a manager, but I'd sit down and spend like a day or part of a day picking out, you know, some of them and writing them down on a separate piece of paper where now I have, oh, look, you know, I got, I got 20 things I did this year. And so then you have something to talk about. Uh, from a manager's perspective, I wouldn't want to be that person. That's a big responsibility to try to be responsible for other people's careers. I, I can't really relate to it too well. I was forced at one time to be uh, a project leader where I had some hiring and firing to do. Really didn't like it. <laughs> and I, I've been staying away from it ever since. Um, I would think that most companies would have a process that the manager would be essentially required to follow. So I agree with you, though, no matter what process there is a manager's job at a performance reviews, I feel like the most difficult one, you know, even if you had like a really good year, the manager might be required to say, well, what didn't you like? Yeah. And then I guess if you were prepared, you would have come up with something that's yeah, you both agree like, ah, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that experiences taught me is performance review. There's always going to be one person that's going to be unhappy with the outcome that comes out of it. And that's inevitable. You just do what you can control and you just don't try and optimize the uncontrollable. Uh, if someone wants to take your case, they can take your case, come what may, and all you can do is just focus on just learnings and doing good work. Yeah, I, I definitely think that hard work pays off and then the interview should go your way. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Mike. This was this was a lot of fun. And I, I don't know, I feel like talking to you in this environment, I've learned so much more than like, you know, all the technical stuff I learn from you every day. Brings me to my last question. How would you define success? Well, I know I keep answering with this, but I think that's a personal decision. One way to measure success is how much money are you making? Yeah. How easy is it for you to get that next job? Yeah. Um, are you happy? Do you like going to work every day? I, if you can score high in any or all of those, then I think that's success. You know, yeah. if people want you on their team instead of somebody else, if you're going to be the one that's not going to get laid off, that's a success. My personal measure is, yeah, more money, more better. Being happy to go to work, that's a success. No Monday morning booze. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. What gets you off the bed every day to yeah. get to work? If you're willing to put in some extra effort on work because it matters to you, that's you're, you're being successful, I think. That's well said, Mike. Well, it was great talking to you, Mike. Thank you so much for doing the interview with us. It yeah. was wonderful. It was nice. We have a lot you. more questions, but I feel like we could keep going on <laughs> and on and on. Uh, but this was great. I feel like 
I got to ask a lot of the questions that I usually don't get to ask at work. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, my door is awesome. always open. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks for the opportunity.